This week we talk a bit of rocket science, collecting data on cannabinoids, and how producing cannabis is an art form, coming up next on Critical Grass. Wow. Bergstaller, and I am from New York. I'm living here in Los Angeles, and I am a cannabis reporter, personality, and comedian, and this is Critical Grass Podcast. Welcome back, friends. Hope everyone is having a lovely holiday season, despite the circumstances. It's been a very strange and trying year in general, and the holidays are definitely more somber than in previous years, but we're slowly starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, though we're a long ways from being out of the woods just yet. Nonetheless, we should not give up hope that things will get better in the near future. Who knows when exactly, but at some point they will. God only knows what kind of crazy things 2021 will throw at us, or which beloved celebrity will be next to kick the bucket. But one thing's for certain, it's not going to be boring. Fingers crossed we get some respite in the coming months as well. That we could all definitely use more of. And there's also a lot to be hopeful and optimistic about in the cannabis world too. More on that later on. First things first, though, let's get to know our guest for the week. We're chatting to the highly talented and ever so cheerful Brooke Bergstaller of Marijuana Morning News and Budding Mind fame. She is a writer, producer, host, and actress in TV, online media, as well as film. In addition to her news show, where she covers pop culture, politics, history, new brands, but also social justice issues related to cannabis, she is an actress who's appeared on MTV, ABC, TBS, AMC, and the Oxygen Network, among others. She's won an award for her Prisoners of Prohibition docuseries for Mary Jane Media and keeps the can of flame burning with her cannabis and wellness blog, Budding Mind. Originally out of Buffalo, New York, but currently based in sunny L.A., where she gets to enjoy the benefits of legal cannabis and share her discoveries and experiences with the world. But when and where was that first time in Brooke's life where she got to experience the wonders of Mary Jane? Oh, my goddess. So the first time I ever smoked cannabis, I was in high school. And (laughs) I remember I snuck out of my friend's house. I was a bad old baddie. Went and hung out at Joey, I forget his last name, this older boy in high school. And it was the most quintessential stoner visual experience. I was sitting in a beanbag chair, smoking out of a rickety old dirty bong. There were like the black and neon felt posters on the wall that he had like colored. <laughs> it was too perfect. And so had my first bong rip, was sconed out of my mind. And then as his friend was driving us back to my friend's house, because we had snuck out, we needed to get home. I remember making out with Joey. And it was the most amazing sensory experience. I have this memory of, to this day, 
of thinking in my head as I am making out with an older boy, I feel like his tongue is like a whale's tail sloshing around in my mouth. And that's like, I just love that memory. I do remember it. Oh. And then after that, I kind of was just hooked on cannabis. I thought I was such a cool kid. And I, no shit, wrote in my journal in high school, when I grow up, I want to be a stoner. I want to own my own pipe. I want to buy my own weed. Like, I thought I would be the coolest cat ever if I was a stoner. But my parents were very protective. So that had to be more done in secret until until my college years. Now, most of the Critical Grass podcast guests also mention getting stoned for the first time in high school or with a group of friends doing something naughty somewhere. But the whale's tail reference is definitely a first, so Brooke will automatically enter our original stoner story hall of fame. So congratulations, Brooke. Enjoy your award. Feel free to celebrate by sparking a fatty. But we'd also like to take the time now to reach out to the unsung hero in this situation, Stoner Joey. If you yourself are a pothead named Joseph, who grew up in the Buffalo, New York area, and went to high school and made out with one Brooke Bergstaller, or you know of such a Joey, please reach out to us at the Critical Grass Podcast, or contact Brooke herself directly. She would like to thank you for making her want to become a stoner. Operators are standing by. Okay, so it was stoner Joey who initially turned Brooke onto cannabis, but was she a dedicated cannabis enthusiast right from her very first puff? Not necessarily. I went to college in Miami where I was quite the boozer and that was just par for the course. Miami girl. My roommate was, I kind of separated from cannabis and I would, I would dabble here and there partying, but my roommate in college, she had, she was a huge stoner and I loved her to pieces, but I remember her keeping the weed in our shared space. And for some reason, telling my parents that or they found out and my parents put the fear of God in me like you need to get the weed out of your apartment you could get in so much trouble you could get kicked out of school and I was terrified until she started letting me smoke some of it and there was this transition period of me going to the bars or the clubs and drinking and coming home and she hadn't gone out and me smoking with her and at first I would fall asleep right away, but I would wake up feeling great. And then slowly I would, you know, be able to stay awake and we would craft or we would cook food together until eventually I wasn't going out in the same way I was. And I was at home. I was becoming more centered in myself and I was smoking weed as my form of fun and being creative. And I really credit her, Melissa Katz. Thank you for the work that you did. moving me away from the dark side. <laughs> and and then since then, it's like, you know, cannabis has become a part of my daily life. So with a bit of help from Melissa, shout out to Melissa, Brooke's path was set and onward she marched towards the promised land of buds and bongs. As mentioned at the start of the podcast, Brooke is the writer, producer, and host of Marijuana Morning News that you guys can and definitely should check out online. Here she talks about the genesis of this particular project. So Marijuana Morning News is a show for Big Mike, who is the founder of Advanced Nutrients, and he's an OG cannabis grower he was he was like bringing hundreds of pounds of weed growing in Canada into that into the United States he actually got kicked out of Canada for that and created 
I know, very exciting stuff. And he created a nutrients company, which kind of sounds unglamorous in some ways, but he was one of the first of the era uh, 20, 30 years ago to sell nutrients directly to cannabis growers and farmers without saying, this is for tomatoes or this is actually for petunias. And then you have to go to a hydro store and the owner's like, actually, this is for bud. He was very blatant about it. And because of that, created a hugely successful company. And uh, he just has a lot of legs into different aspects of the cannabis industry, of which I've been able to be a part of. So one of them is the world of media. And we created Marijuana Morning News as a way to educate his massive audience and, you know, the humans at large about everything under the cannabis sun from politics to the stock market, which is not exactly my expertise, but we can talk finances, uh, celebrities and new products and events, etc. So that is a beautiful journey that I'm on with the show. We've been running for about a year and we've had a lot of a lot of different movement and transitions with it. But I write it. I produce it. I host it. My boyfriend helps shoot it for me in our second bedroom on a green screen. And then we edit it. So it's a well-oiled machine at this point, And I, I certainly hope we can get, you know, more more eyes on it at, at this point in time. But yeah. Well, what better way to get some cannabis media out there than by creating it yourself? And what better place to do it than Southern California, which is quite open and celebratory about its cannabis use? You can also find loads of famous stoners to interview and pick their brains and occasionally share a joint, though that's kind of on hold right now. Actually, throughout the pandemic in the Western world, the DIY homemade videos and shows have been taking off all over the place as getting some basic audio video equipment has become easy and affordable. And the traditional forms of media, where they send out reporters to do in-person interviews, has been put on hold for now as a result of social distancing measures. But that means that many more people are getting into content creation, which is actually a boon for artists and creative types as traditional media can be quite exclusive, particularly if their ideas don't fit the dominant corporate narrative that mainstream media puts out. As former Dead Kennedy singer Jello Biafra once said, don't hate the media, become the media. And Brooke did just that. Now, speaking of social distancing and pandemics, I was curious as to how the cannabis industry is doing as a result of the various lockdowns and restrictions in place? Well, my understanding is, fortunately, with cannabis businesses as essential businesses, a lot of people have benefited from being able to continue to sell their product at this time. And the general consensus, I think, is people are consuming a lot more than normal. Um, I think there's data to support that. And I'm one of those people, too, being at home month after month after month, where in the past I might have said, maybe I don't need to smoke today. Now I'm like, oh, Brookie girl, you deserve that joint at 9 a.m. You do what you need to do to get through this fucking life. <laughs> Hopefully I can swear. Um, I actually was able to speak with a dispensary here in West Hollywood called Kama, and they had plans to open a beautiful dispensary. They had plans to open well before the pandemic and and the lockdown. And they were deciding whether or not, like, are we gonna keep paying rent here and open up, like have a launch while people aren't allowed outside of their homes? And they did, and they had a hugely successful 
opening month all through delivery. I mean, delivery is doing extraordinarily well. And now they've opened their doors and they say that they've got lines out the door every day for their dispensary. So I don't think there's any shortage of consumer demand. Um, I'll be interested to know the exacts of how this year will affect supply in the future. I think like that would end up being the more problematic situation. I think people are always going to be able to budget and find money to buy weed. Um, I think with the fires and people not being able to go to work, et cetera, that we as consumers might experience higher prices in cannabis because there might not be enough to go around at some point soon. And also people not being able to go to work for periods of time, not being able, like for indoor grows, not being able to show up to work because of social distancing or any kind of requirements at manufacturing facilities, et cetera. Um, I'm sure all of that's m mostly remedied at this point, but I'll be, I'll be interested to see if there is some kind of trickle down situation. Mm -hmm. I think it's safe to say many people have experienced something very similar where it kind of feels like the film Groundhog Day, where you wake up and it feels like nothing is changing day in and day out. And with the pandemic still raging across the U.S. with no end in sight, though vaccines are slowly starting to arrive. But with staying at home being mandated for many people and with not a whole lot to do, people are getting some cabin fever and will use almost any excuse to alter their consciousness a little. Now, according to NPR.org, Americans are drinking 14% more during the pandemic, though in places where you have legal medical and or adult use cannabis, that number might be lower due to increased cannabis use. And every state with a legal adult use market has reported increased sales, California being no exception. But Brooke does bring up a very valid point here, particularly with respect to supply. As most people in the U.S. know, California has been going through some horrific wildfires that have decimated people's homes and also cannabis farms. And as Brooke also mentions, as a result of the lockdown and social distancing restrictions put on businesses, many operations, indoor ones as well, have been affected, though supply doesn't seem to be short, at least not yet. But no need to panic, as legislators in California did allow for something in Proposition 64 that may actually save the day in case of a statewide supply shortage, home growing, and up to six plants as well. Brooke shares her experience with this life-saving liberty the state of California has bestowed upon its citizens. Six plants in our home. I'm actually growing right now. And, you know, I know it's very exciting. My second year, and it is a lot of freaking work. When I moved into my apartment, our landlord looked me up online and he said, I see you work in cannabis. There's no smoking cannabis inside of the home. And we were like, for sure. And then he never came back. And we started growing six massive plants in our backyard. And he just came by the other day and was like, he had to do an inspection and was like, I see that you're growing some things in your backyard. And I was like, oh, yeah, but we don't even smoke it. Like, I don't know how that could possibly be believable. But I would love to see more people growing at home. I think that there's a lot of and complexity with growing. We make it seem like it's, you know, much more. I say that it's hard and it is hard, but it's also easy. It's a plant. Uh, you know, everyone's a plant mom at this point. You could keep your weed plant in a windowsill. And as long as you're watering it, 
balancing the pH of the water and kind of keeping an eye on it, the plant's going to talk to you. You're going to see it through to harvest. Um, but I think it's really difficult to acquire the actual seeds and the actual plants. For a period of time in California, you weren't able to buy plants at dispensaries. You could buy, even though it's legal to grow at home, so you could buy as much weed as you wanted after someone else grew it, but you had a difficulty growing that for yourself. I just find that to be so backwards and idiotic, but I think the same way about tobacco. So many people smoke tobacco and we just grow so used to convenience that. Do you know anyone that grows tobacco in their backyard? Very good point about tobacco. The vast majority of cigarette and cigar smokers don't even know what a tobacco plant looks like in real life, but have consumed, most likely, countless amounts of money's worth in tobacco products. With cannabis, though, it's a little different. There was never any tobacco prohibition that drove tobacco farmers underground and indoors, as there was no need to hide it. Processing tobacco into cigars and cigarettes is a much more complicated undertaking than processing cannabis, and it comes as no surprise that most people just buy ready-made products out of convenience. With cannabis, though, entire industries have been spawned due to prohibition and having to go underground. Since for many people living under prohibition, going underground was the only way of getting any weed, many people became gardeners and started sharing information with other growers, in order to get the most out of whatever seeds or clones they had available. And in the process, countless amounts of people developed a passion for cultivation. The number of grow shops, seed shops, and nurseries that have spawned as a result of the underground market all over the world is quite staggering, and now they're slowly going public with what they are doing. Seeds and clones are available in California at select dispensaries and nurseries, but convenience still reigns supreme, and dispensaries aren't in danger of going out of business anytime soon. But to have your own little grow is much more satisfying and rewarding than buying from someone you've never met. Speaking of going public, with adult-use cannabis now legal in California, you also have more and more recognizable faces who are coming out with their own cannabis brands. Is it safe to say Hollywood is full of potheads? <laughs> I think we're finding out more and more that yes, most actors and creatives in general smoke weed. Uh, I think just a lot of people smoke weed, but I love to hear the new celebs hit in the market. Just recently, we had Kristen Bell come out with a CBD line, Gwyneth Paltrow invest in Can, a cannabis infused beverage. I know, and Nicole Kidman partnering up with a CBD brand. like. Y'all, are you for real? Where were you 10 years ago when your celebrity kind of meant more, Nicole Kidman? Seriously. But um, jumping on the bandwagon and cashing in their $50 million checks, I can't blame them. But when I first moved to California, I came out here to become an actress. You know, I assumed that within a couple of months, I would be the lead on like a CW teen soap opera um, we're still waiting on that to happen, but I was so at odds with coming out of the cannabis closet because of my pursuit in acting. I started working for Mary Jane as a cannabis reporter and was doing a lot of things on camera in the world of weed, and I didn't want to share any of it publicly, definitely not with my parents, but I was so worried that if I smoked weed on camera, I was creating cannabis content, but did not want to smoke on camera because I felt like Disney 
or ABC would somehow see my weed videos and be like, you know what? We just cannot give her the role of our new Disney princess. She smokes cannabis. She's a bad influence. And for years, honestly, for years, that held me back. Probably for like two years. I was super secretive about working in weed. But yeah, I I took a long time to come out of the cannabis closet for fear that being cannabis forward would somehow limit opportunities for me. And when I finally lifted that veil for myself and just dove in and made a commitment, uh, so many opportunities in the cannabis space just came pouring in. And I really feel like I do believe cannabis is a sentient plant. I've spoken to her and I truly believe that she is, she is a guide for me and she has provided me with opportunities to express myself and to be creative and to provide for myself. Jay-Z, Wiz Khalifa, burner of cookies. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg had her own thing. Chelsea Handler, the list goes on. Carlos Santana and his son, separate lines. Come on, just make one Santana line. Add to that list Method Man and Red Man, Exhibit, Chief Keef, ASAP Rocky, Ghostface Killer, and Killer Priest. And that's just the rappers. You also have Mike Tyson, Jim Belushi, Patrick Stewart, Joe Montana, Seth Rogen, Jimmy Buffett, and Gene Simmons. Now, a couple of those names don't seem like they belong on that list. There definitely have been politicians and other prominent celebs who once fought cannabis decriminalization and legalization tooth and nail only to do an about-face and join the executive boards of cannabis companies. Because, you know, money. Is it possible that some of these celebs are nothing more than canna opportunists looking at Eugene Simmons, or are they genuine supporters who just feared coming out of the girl closet a little too soon? I think at this point, there's so many people watching the cannabis industry that if you enter the space, you do have to understand you must authentically have a relationship. I think that you would be challenged as a celebrity if you were if you were Martha Stewart and you came out, she did come out with a CBD line and you don't have some history or relationship or public presentation of a relationship with cannabis, then people are going to call your bluff. So I think there's an element of, yes, there is authenticity and yes, there is opportunism, of course, because if you're Nicole Kidman and you're 50 years old and you're not getting a lot of movie roles right now, but a CBD company in Canada, or I forget, a European CBD company says, we will give you a 30, 50, 100 million dollar check if you're the face of our new line. I cannot blame someone for taking the check, just like I can't blame people historically taking money from Nike or L'Oreal or, you know, whatever brands out there. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a negative thing. I think the more people that are in the public eye that come forward and say, I'm cool with weed, the more that softens the stigma and the more People like my mom will say, oh, my goodness, that cute little Kristen Bell smokes weed. I would love to try some. And I'm like, yo, mom, I've been trying to get you to smoke for a decade. (laughs) So opening up about your cannabis use, regardless of whether you're an up and coming artist trying to make it big or you already have an established career is a good thing. And it's even better if you use your celebrity status to help others open up to it or simply normalize its use. There's certainly no harm in that. Now, if you're someone like Willie Nelson or Snoop Dogg, whose body weight is 75% pot smoke, 
then we know you're quite genuine about your intentions, even more so if you have a criminal record to prove it. But if you've said nothing in defense of cannabis or cannabis users throughout your storied career, don't expect people to line up for several blocks to buy whatever it is you're trying to hawk. We've been fooled before, maybe try selling some car insurance instead. But this recent trend of celebrity brands and celebs opening up about cannabis use would imply that a lot of people are still somewhat worried about the potential stigma. Is this still an issue even in super liberal Hollywood? A lot of outside influences have made me feel like I should feel shameful. And it's, you know, it's part of my my work to consistently break through that and be proud of who I am and the work that I do. And I think that the more I am a, you know, I don't look like the face of a stoner and I kind of appreciate that because I think that that's a, that's a good thing that that looks good for other people in California. Most of my work is in the world of cannabis. A lot of my community is, it has given me so much to the point where I don't really care if someone in Cali is like, oh, you smoke weed. But outside of California, when I go to Chicago, spend time with my boyfriend's family, there's not a lot of conversations about what do I do for work? Because I think people don't want to go there. And there is a little bit of like, like, oh, that's not cute. That's not clean. Uh, But I just try to maintain like the most, you know, straightforward and I guess I'm not wearing a flat brim hat and doing dabs. I'm, you know, I'm wearing like flower earrings and they smoke joints with cannabis, CBD and blue lotus. So like it's a new era of cannabis. So you can go ahead and eat your stigma pie because it's not what people think it is. Being a cannabis consumer is not what people outside of our California bubble perceive it to be. It's not that way anymore. It's so limiting, um, you know, just like a million other stereotypes that we we create of people. It's like at some point you just it's it's noise. It is indeed a new era of cannabis and a new era for cannabis. The good news is that public opinion all across the globe has changed largely in favor of cannabis depenalization and or legalization over the course of the past 20 to 30 years. And at least in North America, it seems to be accelerating, particularly among the younger generations. So the future is looking bright for Stoner Nation. However, there's still a lot of cleaning up to do from the utter failure known as the war on drugs. While many celebs and legalization activists celebrate their new cannabis brands and dispensary openings and festivals and the whole surrounding fanfare, thousands of people are still locked up for either consuming, possessing, or just growing cannabis, including in places where it's been made legal. A number of prominent activists, such as the D'Angelo brothers of Harborside fame in Oakland, have initiated programs advocating for the release of cannabis prisoners, and Brooke has also made her noble contribution to the cause with her Prisoners of Prohibition project. Here she explains what it entails. Prisoners of Prohibition was a docu-series that I created with Mary Jane, and it was a four-part series that highlighted actual stories of people who are serving lifetime sentences or de facto life sentences in prison at both the state and federal levels. And the purpose of the documentary was not just to blanket the issue itself, but to actually put faces in front of you of this person, Craig Cecil, he is serving life. This is who he is. This is a man 
with children and a wife and he had a job and he just was just a regular dude. He could have been your dad or my dad. Um, a lot of stories like that. But this was this was about three years ago that we created the doc series. And this conversation about people serving life sentences truly was like just bubbling to the surface. Because again, in California, we had just recently gone fully legal for adult use. And I don't think in general, when we came out with this, people would scratch their heads like, wait, there's people serving life for weed, nonviolent crimes. How is that even possible? And not only how is it possible, it's not just dozens of people. It's not just hundreds of people. It's thousands of people. The number that I read recently was there's some 70,000 people serving, not life sentences, but serving time uh, in state and federal prisons for for cannabis related crimes. Um, through working on this project, Last Prisoner Project wasn't part of the picture yet. They hadn't even existed. So in researching for this project, it was very, very difficult for me to find resources that had calculated the numbers of people who were in prison and, and who they were and how you could get in contact with them. One organization that I worked very closely with was Can Do Justice with Amy Pova. And she has actually, she worked with Kim Kardashian on getting Alice Johnson out of prison like a year or so ago, a woman who was serving a nonviolent crime for, I think she had just drug possession is really what it was. Um, and working with people like Amy just totally blew the roof off of my brain that the policing system is, uh, well, it's just like so blatantly, so blatantly corrupt and so blatantly anti, anti-cannabis uh, for, you know, decades and decades and decades. And the people that I was speaking to who actually were in prison serving time to hear how much information they were receiving about legalization because it was relevant to their cases. It was relevant to them being able to fight for their own clemency, staying up to date about legalization in the United States and seeing state after state get checked off, legalized, legalized, legalized. Well, here's a guy who's a first time nonviolent offender who sold, you know, a hundred dollars worth of weed to an informant who's now serving life in prison to see that, cool, now there's someone in my home state who's making a million dollars a month off of selling legal weed. It's absolutely heart-wrenching. And I think that we forget that there are actual faces to these stories. And so that was the, the point of this project. Beyond the issue of people serving time in prison for cannabis, and releasing them through social equity programs or expungement programs, um, statewide, citywide expungement programs. I think it's it's funny that we think that then the work is done. But here you will have released thousands of people from prison who are now so distrusting and just have been trampled by by the man, by the government. And you're just, you release them and there's 
like what resources do we have for these people once they're out of prison in troves, thousands and thousands of people? How do you reintegrate them into society and potentially into the industry that wronged them? And I don't see any like perfect examples of that happening, even though cities and states do have apparently they're going through expungement processes. I haven't heard many success stories to date. We do hear stories of individual prisoners being released here and there out of federal prisons for cannabis-related charges, though this is really only a tiny trickle of people when it should be literally all people who are doing time for nonviolent drug-related offenses. At the state level, several states have introduced expungement and social equity programs, though it's still not enough considering the number of people who have been either arrested or imprisoned for drug offenses since the start of the war on drugs. And until the federal laws change, there will likely be more. So if you're one of the lucky few that have been successful in the new cannabis industry, please remember those not-so-lucky ones who paid a heavy price doing the same thing you are doing today and advocate for their unconditional pardon and or release. It's the least we could do for them, especially in these difficult times. Alrighty, so before we wrap up, let's see if Brooks got any advice for you young guns out there looking to get into the cannabis game. If you want to be involved in the cannabis industry, you need to get more granular and more specific about exactly what aspect of the industry you want to be involved in, because pretty much anything from the outside world you can do in the world of cannabis, even cannabis journalism, cannabis reporting. Uh, So which is like as niche as you could podcasting, it's as niche as you can go. (laughs) So if you're passionate about cannabis, what else are you passionate about and how can you bring that fuel into the cannabis industry and be a positive representation for this plant with your own outside skill set or values. And, you know, it's, it's cliche, it's obvious, but yo, the internet, go on Instagram and find out what do you want to do? You want to be a cannabis grower? Start looking up Cannabis grows all throughout California. Start looking up people that are doing what you want to do and reach out to them because we are all pretty much on the same level. Sure, there's like some huge success stories in the cannabis space, but I think that most people involved in weed would be extraordinarily receptive to someone reaching out and asking, can I send you my resume? Can I ask you how you got involved in cannabis? Um, I think that we would all be very flattered (laughs) at this Mm -hmm. point that someone is in some ways like idolizing what we're doing. Um, And also educate yourself. I think that's a huge part of it because wanting to be a cannabis consumer is one thing, but understanding the jargon and the legislation and the history and the plight that people who are now involved in the cannabis industry have had to emerge from is uh, pay homage to that. I think there's a certain amount of reverence that needs to be paid to the people that have paved the path to the point where someone is graduating high school. Like, oh, I wanted to be like a doctor, but instead I want to work in weed. Uh, <laughs> you know, pay, pay respect, pay respect to the fact that the doors are now open for you in such a huge way where you could go on LinkedIn, you could go on actual cannabis job posting aggregate websites and like just look up jobs. It's kind of as easy as that at this point. 
Respect your Kenna elders, kids, because they're the ones that took a bullet for you so that you can gram your weed and make money doing it. All right, if we want to get a hold of Brooke, looking at you, Joey out of Buffalo, where can we find her? Find me on Instagram. I am, of course, a millennial. So my Instagram is Brooke Steller, B-R-O-O-K-E-S-T-E-L-L-A-R, or Buddy Mind. And now the sad part, time to say farewell to our guest. Brooke Bergstaller, that was a wonderful chat. Thanks for taking the time to do this, and I wish you all the best with all of your shows, all of your projects, and uh, whatever other cannabis-related undertakings you might have uh, coming up in the pipeline. Stay safe, stay cannabinated, and uh, hopefully we can share a spliff someday in sunny California uh, or maybe somewhere in Europe once this whole COVID stuff blows over. Beautiful. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, I will take you up on that spliff. A metaphorical cheers, because I'm about to enjoy one myself, actually, right now. (laughs) That was episode 53 of the Critical Grass podcast. Just a few more till we get bumped up to a different tax bracket. Huge thanks again to the amazing Brooke Bergstaller. Make sure to check out Budding Mind and the Prisoners of Prohibition Project and spread the gospel. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share with others. If you would like to help us out monetarily, which we would highly appreciate, you can donate to us by going to www.critical-grass.com and clicking the donate button, or by going to patreon.com slash criticalgrass and becoming a member. We'll be back in 2021 with yet another episode, so don't change that channel. My name, at least for the rest of the year, is Bogdan. Happy holidays, and here's to a good year for a change. Peace out, my friends.